Welcome to the Small Business Edge Podcast with Brian Moran, sponsored by Pitney Bowes. Now, here's your host, Brian Moran. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Small Business Edge Podcast. My name is Brian Moran, and my guest today is John Ferrara, founder and CEO of Nimble, an AI-powered CRM solution that builds relationships everywhere you work. And I will tell you, I am a huge fan of Nimble. Uh, So it's my honor and privilege to have John on our show today. But I was a huge fan of something we're going to get into a little bit of an earlier company that John had called Goldmine Software. And we'll tell some stories about when I was the associate publisher in Entrepreneur Magazine back in the 90s and how that Goldmine was the differentiator between us and some of the other magazines. But uh, it's going to be exciting. Uh, John's got an incredible story. He's got some great advice and insights. So make sure you have a pen and paper with you. And uh, with that, I'd like to welcome to the Small Business Edge podcast, John Ferrara. Brian, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to join you and your audience here today. I think that we're here on this planet to grow and we do that best by helping other people grow. So any opportunity that I have to have a conversation about powering other people to achieve their dreams is a pretty friggin' good day. You know what, John? <clears throat> That's what makes you such a, a decent guy. I mean, forget the fact that you're incredibly successful and people would like to glom on to uh, as much wisdom and knowledge that you're willing to share, but you're genuine. And I know that and sincere when you talk about the interest in helping other people. So uh, we appreciate that even more. So uh, let's get into it because there's a lot to cover. I want to cover you know, 30 years in about 30 minutes with you, if that's okay, because I find your story so fascinating. I mean, I've talked to over the years, tens of thousands of entrepreneurs and it's like, no, it, it, entrepreneurs are like fingerprints. No two are alike. And yeah. so I'm always fascinated by the stories. Now, our listeners are mostly owners of small and mid-sized companies and so I, I want to share your story with them. And, I, and I'm going to pick it up, uh, not in your childhood or your teenage years, but when you started a company called Goldmine Software, which I, I think of as one of the original database management solutions back in the 1990s. So correct me if I'm wrong on anything, uh, and I'm sure I will be, but how did you actually get your start on your entrepreneurial path? Well, Goldmine was really an evolution of a previous journey that really started on my dad's car dealership. I grew up, my dad had, was the number one Lincoln Mercury guy in the country. Then he was, a, he had the first Subaru dealership. And I grew up watching my dad connect with people. He was a, he was a definitely a relationship guy and he sold cars. And I said to myself, I'm never going to be a salesperson and I'm not selling anything. And so I went and got a computer science degree. But in order to get my, my degree, I had to work my way through college. So I worked at a computer line store where I sold computers and I was really good at it. But, uh, but I said, nah, I'm not going to do this. So when I graduated, I got a job as a systems engineer, did that for a year. They moved me into sales and in the process of being in that sales job, I needed to manage relationships. And back in those days, Salespeople ran with day timers and uh, post-it notes or while you're out slips and spreadsheets. And basically that was SFA, CRM and contact management. So imagine there was no Outlook, there was no CRM, there was nothing. 
and I was managing my contacts on paper and uh, spreadsheets, and I said, there's got to be a better way. And because I worked my way through a computer land store, I knew every single software program that existed at the time, and there was literally only hundreds of them, and there was no program that actually made use of a network. So networking with Novell, file record locking, just started. So you had the ability to share software on a network, but there was no software that actually leveraged the network. So everybody who got into, say, the accounting program, they had to get out if you actually wanted to let somebody else in. And I basically said, look, if I could combine email, contact, and calendar, and sales and market automation into one software application, not only will that suit my needs, but there might be a market for this. And, uh, and I got together with a college buddy of mine and, uh, and basically designed the initial concepts of the program. He built it, and we kind of went to market with it uh, little by little. And, wh- and what year was that? 1989. 1989. This is the DOS days. Remember, just operating. Yeah. Yeah. Characters. And and the thing is, is that uh, at the time, because there was no Outlook and there was no CRM, there was barely any networkable software, people didn't understand that they had a need for a team relationship manager, let alone automated sales and marketing uh, capabilities. So we had to sort of teach the market. So we were like a first mover, and then we had to be an educator. And the best way to access a customer base isn't by advertising to them. It's by finding the trusted advisor, building a relationship with that person, and having that person bring you into the customer account. And back when I was uh, in, my, in that job before Goldmine, a company called Banyan, I used to get my butt kicked because Bandit was a network operating system for enterprises. I used to get my butt kicked by these Novell guys. And these Novell guys sold a network to small businesses. And uh, and I had the first car to drive on them. I had the first network of business programs. So what I did is I cold called those Novell resellers. I called them all up and I built a relationship with them where they started to use it. And then they started to recommend it. And each of them had hundreds, if not thousands of customers that had 5, 10, 15, 25 seats of Novell network. So basically, they're the ones that sold the initial, say, $100,000 worth of revenue per month that put us on the map. And that is lesson number one. It's more powerful when other people talk about you than when you talk about you. And the best way to access customers at scale, especially SMB customers, is through their trusted advisors. And today, if you want to access SMB customers, Lots of trusted advisors, people like you, Brian, or their accountant, their lawyer, their business consultant, their technology consultant, their sales and marketing consultant, and uh, and it's a powerful way to launch a business. You're talking about a referral engine. Yes, sir. Yeah. So it's it's uh, repeat lesson one again because I think that is such an important element in and it's a difference maker between successful companies and companies that struggle. Yeah. It is really hard to get eyeballs today, especially in our overconnected, overcommunicated world. And it's expensive. Advertising is a race to the bottom to get eyeballs, whether you're using Google AdWords or advertising. I mean, heck, print advertising doesn't even really work that much anymore because there aren't very many magazines. What happened to Magazine Rack? And so if you want to access customers today, the best and most efficient way to do it is to identify their core influencer, ideally in and around the areas that promise your products or services. So 
Goldmine was a networkable business application and the trusted advisor of those small businesses who sold them the network was the ideal person for me to connect with to not only get people to get them to start using it, the resellers, but get them to start selling it. And I have an old adage I say, people sell what they know and they know what they use. So if you can get somebody to use your product, heck, it's going to be really easy for them to sell it. All right. So we're about 10 minutes into this podcast and I've already got like five things that I that I would have written down, uh, but thankfully I'm recording it. So I'll go back and, and uh, write them. People, what is it? People sell people what they sell know. What they know and they know what they use. They know what they use. All right. Awesome. You, um, and, and, and one of the things I often tell our listeners too, is that, um, you, you know, luck and timing play an important role in the success of almost every company. And so your timing was absolutely ideal for, for Goldmine. And, and I'm going to tell you what sort of inf- informed that. Because I was on the cutting edge of the adoption of microcomputers, I bought my first microcomputer in 1978 when I was 18, graduated from high school. And then I worked my way through college at a computer line store. I was fully immersed in all things microcomputers and the software that drives them, the customers that buy them, and, and the resellers that sell them, because I worked at a reseller place and I sold the end users. And so because of that, plus working at a network operating system manufacturer, Banyan, for two years, I saw the adoption of networks and the tying together of PCs into these local area and wide area networks. And then when I had the problem, because the best problems uh, the best products come from people who have a problem because they're because uh, because they they know what the problem is and they they can figure out how to solve it. So my problem was I was trying to manage relationships, but not just my own relationships, but the relationships that my team in the district office in in Dallas had, and the people at corporate in Boston had. And so you have a team of people in pre and post sales that are interacting with customers which required a network relationship platform with automated sales and marketing, which means integrating email, contact, and calendar. Now, today you might say, well, shit, every program, G Suite and an Office 365 integrates email, contact, and calendar. But back in those days, it was Outlook Express, which was just email. So there was no program that integrated email, contact, and calendar. There was WordPerfect Office, which had email and network scheduling, but no contact record. And basically, Goldmine pioneered networkable uh, team relationship management with integrated sales and marketing. And I think what's key about Goldmine was it wasn't there for management reporting. It was there for power relationships. And that's why salespeople loved it. And you had to drag it out of their hand when uh, enterprise serums like Siebel came in. Yeah. yeah. Well, it sounds like you you were a, I mean, if you had to put together a business card, it would be John Farrar problem solver. Right? <laughs> So you had tremendous success with Goldmine. And I, I read in, in some of the articles recently that at one point you had about 350 employees and we're doing about 50 million in sales. Close to 100 million in revenue. Uh, so that I, I'm always, I'm always, I mean, the number of people who can start a business from scratch and hit 100 million sales, it's like going through the eye of a needle. You know, I mean, it is really that small. And and, and I could tell you, it wasn't like an easy ride, right? 
Yeah, like if you think about it like a rocket ship, especially the early ones, like the Mercury's and the Gemini's, it's a rough ride. Um, but, but I do want to share a story about a pivot that I think it's important for people to get in our goldmine journey. So we started out in the DOS days with, um, with basically uh, Novell as our platform that we played on top of and sold through their resellers. And what happened was Windows came out, which was entirely a new shift in the platform. So we had to rewrite Goldmine from scratch. And then Microsoft came out and they basically came out with NT Server, SQL Server, and Exchange Server. Before that, Microsoft had no network operating system. Mm -hmm. And so Microsoft doesn't innovate, they iterate. They wait for somebody else to build the market and then they come in when it's big enough and they use their muscle, which is billions of users and hundreds of thousands of hours to eat the market. Interestingly enough, when Microsoft came out with NT Server, SQL Server, and Exchange Server, our customers were asking us for a more scalable goldmine. The back end in goldmine was DBase. Our VARs were asking us for more uh, product and services revenue, and Microsoft wanted us to help them sell small business server, which was SQL Server, Exchange Server, and NT Server. So we built Goldmine Enterprise, which required a seed of SQL Server, NT Server, and Exchange Server for every seed of goldmine, solving our customers need to scale, our partners need for more revenue, and Microsoft need to sell their products. That basically got us to the 100 million because Microsoft then pushed the crap out of us globally. And wow. so not being able to pivot from DOS to Windows was extremely hard. There's a lot of details there I won't get into. Pivoting from a solution that's suitable for individuals and teams of two to five to a solution that's for individuals and teams of uh, five to 500 is a completely different thing. And then hooking your wagon to a new horse, all of these are lessons in being, well, dare I say nimble and being sort of aware of the market and taking steps as it uh, transitions. But, but that is there. So there's a good lesson here is yeah. that um, you need to be able to pivot, pivot as much for opportunities as you do for obstacles, because everything you just described are, were opportunities. Yes. I, I mean, people coming to you saying, look, John, you've done such a fantastic job up to now helping us with our database management solution, but now we need this, this, and this. Can you do it? It's, it's not saying, uh, they're not coming to you and saying, look, this market is dead or this market is dying yeah. and there's an innovative product that's eating your lunch right now, so you need to pivot before you get um, you know, uh, pushed out of the market altogether. Yeah. And, and I think one of the secrets to being able to do that was the fact that we we're close to our customers. Mm. So if you listen to your customers and you iterate with them as their needs evolve, then, um, then you can't help but be successful. So I think that's, a, that's an important lesson is stay close to your customers and listen and iterate with them uh, towards their needs. Something that Zig Ziglar might say. Yes. <laughs> and we'll get Love into him man. in a second. But all right, so you sell Goldmine in the, I believe, the late 1990s for 1999. An incredible amount of money. And then you retire at 39. Yeah. And I don't I mean, you still look 39? You, you know, you look about 43, John. Yeah. But, but so, and, and then I'm going to bring up a, a well-documented story that I know you talked about, but I, I'm not sure that all my listeners are aware of this. So you, you've just experienced the American dream, the realization of starting a company from scratch, 
building it to success beyond maybe even your wildest dreams. You beyond, saw my, beyond my wildest dreams. Let's yeah, just say I, that. Yeah, I, for sure. I mean, just incredible. <laughs> How long into your retirement did doctors find a tumor in your head? I think it might have been a year to max. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, people think um, that life is perfect and it always stays perfect. No, it's not. Mm-hmm. Life's like a Beethoven symphony. There's high and there's low notes. It's like a sine wave. There's ups and downs. And you can't necessarily control that, but you control the way you react to it. So, you know, right after that tremendous success where I banked all those bucks and I had my second baby born. I was just, it, it was perfect, right? Yeah. I get a head tumor and I almost die. And, and, you know, through the process of getting ill, I went on a journey of both um, healing, right? So I did mm-hmm. some uh, research about the best paths of, of treatment, but also did some spiritual work. And in the process of doing that, I came to the conclusion that uh, of what my purpose in life it truly is. And, and I'll share that with you. I, I think we're here on this planet to grow and we do that best by helping other people grow. And I say that more succinctly by saying, I'm on this planet to grow my soul. And I do that best by helping other people grow their soul, rinse and repeat. And that's because if you're truly present with other people, especially people who love you, They'll reflect your shit back at you. And if you're willing to look at your shit in life and work on it, that's how you grow as a human being. And so um, after, you know, knock on wood, getting um, treated and, and having a successful treatment for that tumor, I, uh, I decided to spend the next period of my life being a present father, husband, friend to the community. And uh, it was the best time of my life. Uh, the ability to be a present father and husband is, is a gift that, that I would wish on, on any person. I think most guys wait till they're 60 years, 70 years old to retire. And by that time, life's passed them by. So if you have the opportunity to take a, a moment out and actually be present with your kids and with your family and with your friends, I think that's a critical thing for any entrepreneur to be able to do. I, I could not agree more with you. I, and and that's that's what I really love about your whole uh, approach to life and to business. You know, doing everything that you do every single day wholeheartedly with your whole soul. Um, you know, I've spent half my career in corporate America and half in entrepreneurship. And I took a, a small detour back into corporate America knowing that I just needed to get away from the Great Recession. But, um, you know, I, I, I might never retire. You know, I, I love what I do. And mm. I found it's like my calling. And, yeah. and, and like you, John, I mean, I think my, the meaning of my life is to help other people, as I like to say, carry their cross. Yeah. You know, we all have a cross to bear in this life. And some of the, some of the crosses are heavier than others. And, um, you know, I've had my shares of ups and downs, which I've kind of well documented. And now I'm just grateful for every single day, like every, every day I have. And so, Amen. And, and so people say, well, what do you want? You know, what's on your bucket list? And, and the fact of the matter is, yeah, I have some things, places I'd like to go to and things I'd like to do and people I'd like to see. But if none of that happens, I'm still completely happy and satisfied with my life. 
Right. Yeah, I, I think what you're saying there is really important, Brian. Let me let me emphasize it. I think less is the new more and mm-hmm. that you really don't need much uh, to be happy. And I think happiness is is a bit of a balance between your in-go and out-go and, and your expectations. And so I think a lot of uh, happiness can be attained through uh, being more present not worrying about the uh, the not um, not basically rehashing the past or worrying about the future, yeah. and I think that Buddha actually said that. There's a book called Siddhartha I read as a teenager, yeah. and in it, Buddha says the source of all happiness is uh, is is essentially um, uh, worrying about the past and the future instead of being present. And I think we all do that, right? We all sort of cash out, you know, shit, I shouldn't have done that, or I should have done this, or, oh, shit, how am I going to get that, or do that, or, or whatever, and, uh, and, and, you know, I think that the lesson is, is, is be here now, and, uh, yeah. but that doesn't mean that you're floating through life. I believe that anybody listening to this today can achieve anything that they dream, and I call it my three Ps of life. If you can figure out what your passion is, build a plan to achieve it, and make your purpose on a daily basis, you can't help but get movement, right? You right. may not necessarily get to exactly what you want to be, but you're going to get movement, and that journey is going to be the experience, and where you end up may surprise you. And so I think that any entrepreneur out there today should read the book, uh, Think and Grow Rich. Oh, yeah, uh, Napoleon Hill. Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's the Bible that most people uh, that I know uh, have read and retired because of this book right here. And, uh, and what, so, what are the chances that you and I, now for people who are listening to this, John and I are each holding up copies of Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. What does that tell you about how important a book like this is to entrepreneurs? That yeah, it will be that handy. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like a little, like a little desk reference. That's right. Great minds, John. There's one other book, and I'll mention it because I, I do. I do I've talked about it. Have you ever read Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning? No. Uh, I, I'm, I'm going to send that to you. I'm going to send Thank you that book. It I'm going to write it down. Will you write something in it for me? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh-huh. It is the most important book next to the Bible that I have ever read in my life. And I've yeah. read it five times. I first read it in high school. But, but it's an incredible story about, I'm not going to give you away all of it, but it has to do with a, a Victor Frankl, who's a psychiatrist, and it's his journey through a concentration camp. And, mm-hmm. But he asks one question. I mean, he asks a lot of questions in there, and he gives you a lot of meanings and takeaways. But he says, what is the meaning of your life? Everything you do, if you want to be happy and you want to be you want to live a purposeful, principled life, you need to know what the meaning of your life is so that you move towards it. Yeah. And and I think that mine has been that I power people's ability to achieve their dreams through the deeper relationships, better relationships. Yes. Because ultimately, I, I think that we're powered by people, right? Like, there's an energy that happens when you're connecting with another person in a certain way. And if you can um, do that effectively at scale, 
you can achieve anything you dream about because ultimately people want to help you achieve those things. But I think in our overconnected, overcommunicated world, it's just friggin' hard. And especially in our social world today, it's uh, it's it's harder, right? It's it's more complicated than the cold my days. The like, cold oh, my days are so. <laughs> You know, you, you yeah. pick up the phone, you send an email, you send a fax, uh, you send some uh, snail mail, you're good. But yeah. today's world, you got to be on this channel and that channel and you got to be surfing this way and that way. It's like, oh, my God. And, and you know, Brian, that's one of the reasons why I, I got back in the saddle is I started to use social media in 2006, 7, 8. I saw it was going to change the way we work, play, buy, and sell. I started looking for relationship managers that will help me connect my contacts to my social. I couldn't find it. Then I started looking at CRM, saw it wasn't even about relationships. It was about more about management reporting. Mm. And so I just said, you know what? There's a business opportunity here. And, uh, and I put a band together, and we started playing. So that's what happened. I, but my next question was going to be, you know, it's really an incredible gift that you were given to overcome that adversity with the tumor. And so you, you, here you are, you're a, a proud father, family man for about eight, 10 years. And yeah. so that, that, but you saw again, it's like that itch and that's yeah. part of your passion. And so you it saw is. that and, and that's what got you back on the path to entrepreneurship. Yeah. I started to use social I think it was uh, this week in tech. Uh, what's the guy's name? Oh, uh, twice. Um, not this week in consumer electronics. Um, nah, it's that's okay. So okay. There's, a, there's a show uh, by this guy uh, this week in tech, and his name is uh, Leo Laporte. So okay. Leo Laporte has this show this week in tech, and they were talking the founder of Twitter. And I said, what's Twitter? And, and Leo said he just signed up for it. And so I went and signed up for it. And I, my first thing I put in Twitter was um, hello world because it's like it's what you do with the computer, right? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and, uh, and I started playing with it. And I, I started having conversations with people and it was very organic. And I'd already used Facebook and kind of used LinkedIn a little bit. But I found that this Twitter thing was really, really powerful. And as I started to use it, I started to build, rebuild my brand. Because you think about it, being a dad for 10 years, being out of tech for 10 years, that's a lifetime. That's like 100 years. Sure. So I had to basically reestablish my brand and build a community. And as I started doing it, I wanted to be able to tie these conversations that I was having in Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn back to a contact record. Because I go to Twitter and I have these conversations with Brian, but then... I go to LinkedIn, I have a conversation. I go to Facebook, I have conversations, but I can't really bring it together. So the next time I have a conversation with Brian, I know who is Brian, when was the last time I talked to him, what's next that needs to be done. It's the basic organizational stuff. And I started to use a thing called Hootsuite, which allowed me to tie the conversations into, into channels, but they still didn't tie back to contacts. And I then I started looking at contact management. I looked at G Suite Gmail and email, contact, and calendar are three separate programs, which means if you go to a contact record, you don't have the history of email and calendar, let alone social. And you still have to Google somebody before you meet with them. And so I said to myself, if I could build a program, a next generation CRM contact manager that automatically builds itself from the data you already have, your email, contact, and calendar, and your Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, and all the conversations, and then basically do that for an individual or a team, that could be pretty awesome. And so I put a team together and we built Nimble. But you started building Nimble at the beginning of the Great Recession, right? 
I, I mean, started put, building Nimble in 2010. Okay. And um, back then there was no social selling. There was no social CRM. People didn't really, people thought that Twitter is a place where uh, propeller heads told each other when they're going to the bathroom. <laughs> Facebook was a place for hooking up with a high school sweetheart and LinkedIn yeah. was a place to get a job. So yeah. I was ahead of all that. So I had to basically teach people how social was a place uh, for business people to engage and build brands. And in the process, I started identifying uh, early thought leaders who were teaching about social and marketing and sales. And I basically started to share their content in order to build my brand and the Nimble brand, but also start conversations with them, which turned them into early users and evangelists. So I kind of repeated the same way that I built Goldmine by identifying the influence of my prospect in and around the areas of promise my product and services. So I found thought leaders on social sales and marketing and I built relationships with them and they turned, turned them into my evangelists and storytellers. So just like the Novell resellers were my early access to my customer base, these thought leaders were, and that was sort of the beginning of influencer marketing, if you will, uh, back before people started paying the Kardashians to do yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But when you're putting this together, I mean, now, now it helps that, you know, you've had, you had an incredibly successful uh, company, right? Yeah. That, that you had this, you know, grand slam. And so you're like, hey, I'm going to start another company. But starting a company in 2010, given where the economy was, what did you see? Like, like take me through that, that early, uh, those early conversations about Nimble. So you see this void in the marketplace, but where everything is going is down. Do you have a one-year plan? Is it a five-year plan or is it a 25-year plan for this product? And, and well, that it, will, it will evolve over time. So Bill Gates said uh, people overestimate what they can do in two years. And they underestimate what they can do in 10. Mm-hmm. And it took me 10 years to build Goldmine up to the level it got. And mm-hmm. so um, I knew it was going to be a long haul to, to do this. And, you know, the good news was, is I was 50 years old. So I was a young guy yeah. and uh, yeah. I had time on my hands. And, and, and the people I shared the idea with, it really resonated with them. People really got it. And also, I wasn't starting the company so I could make another $100 million. I was starting the company because I really believed in powering people and that people needed this. And ultimately, I needed it. And it resonated with others. And I think that the idea of Nimble was sort of beyond sort of, oh yeah, let's go build a company to make a lot of money. Let's build a company to power a lot of people. And I love to say this, people don't buy great products, they buy better versions of themselves. Mm -hmm. And so people shouldn't talk about how great their products or their services are, but they should talk about how they can make other people great. And that's what we did. And it really resonated with people. And and we quickly got to 100,000 subscribers, uh, you know, very quickly. Um, but then, um, and we were basically riding the G Suite gang, if you will, mm-hmm. because there was no Office 365. But then LinkedIn pulled the API because they wanted, uh, they basically wanted to sell LinkedIn Sales Navigator from us. Uh, they pulled the API from us. And Facebook pulled the API because they wanted you to go to Facebook to use Facebook, not use some of the program. And so the whole idea of building a, a social CRM kind of got ripped out from under me. And I had to sort of rethink what it, what Nimble's going to be. Well, about this time, Microsoft came out with Office 365. And like I said before, Microsoft doesn't innovate. They iterate. They work for somebody else to build the market. And they come in and it's big enough with their muscle. And they, they build a good enough product and they dominate. 
I knew Microsoft would dominate with Office 365. So we started to build integrations with Office, relationships with Microsoft executives and build, um, uh, and which gave us access to the programs that enable us to evolve into the simple serum for Office 365. So we still support G Suite, but we're also very big in Office. And, um, and the lesson that here is that they'll never take away the APIs for email, contact, and calendar. And that's the heart of every business person. With social, basically was new 10 years ago. Now it's become ubiquitous. When, when technology become ubiquitous, it disappears. Just like the internet 20 years ago, we called everything e-toys and eye contact, and the internet was you know dial up and kind of new and cool. Now it's disappeared because you just expect it to be there. Just like when you turn the faucet on your bathroom, you don't think about the recirculation pipe and the heaters. And so social is becoming more transparent, it's gonna disappear, but relationship platforms that work with the tools that you use, which is Office and G Suite, but more importantly, the business application to use like sales, marketing, customer service, and accounting, these are all the islands of contacts you have in your business. Now, what Nimble has become is the simple serum for Office 365 and G Suite that automatically builds itself from the data you have in your business, which is your QuickBooks, your MailChimp, your G Suite, your Office. We automatically unify all those contacts into one and then live back where you work because you live in email and now more and more social or the business apps that you're using Nimble ties all that together in a team relationship manager, enriches the context with people and company data, and then uh, works exactly where you work so that when you're engaging, you have the context and insights of who is this person and what's their business about and what's happened and who, what's going to happen. But the ability to follow up and follow through, which most people fail at, which is log in the notes, schedule the next task, and, uh, and following up and following through. And I think that's what makes Nimble so awesome is that it's the first serum that works for you by building itself and then works with you everywhere you work. I know that was I, I, I'm just, no, I'm, I'm listening and I'm, I'm thinking that the real secret to your success is what you said earlier, and that is maintaining that very close relationship with your customers and giving them, understanding what their needs are and giving them solutions. And so yeah. your, your customers keep coming back to you and companies like Microsoft recognize that. They say, you know, the difference between Nimble and any other product that we're talking to right now, Nimble has a, Nimble, they don't have customers. They have advocates. They have ambassadors. They have people who love that product. And, and I've seen it when I talk to people about it. You know, they say, oh, absolutely. I love, you know, that it can gather all this information for me and organize my, it, it comes down to time management. It makes me more productive. And, yeah. and, that, and that, you know, between my, my email, my calendar, my tasks, my events and, and everything in between and, and my social, yeah. you know, and, and the fact that I can get all of that on my phone, by the way. So, you yeah. know, five minutes before I'm walking into a meeting, I can look at my contact and see if there are any talking points, you know, things that they may have posted online or previous emails or whatnot. You know, I've got that at my fingertips, which you is know, incredibly useful. Brian, here's a sad statistic most people don't know. There's 225 million global businesses, less than 1% use any CRM. Most people's CRM is their inbox, spreadsheet, post-it notes, or social. And so what's more important than your brand and your network? Nothing. And who does a really good job of managing that? Very few people. 
Right. And the second is bad data, because even if you type this in the computer that you have to Google and look up who's Brian and, and what's his business about, whatever, it's going to become corrupt because it'll people change and companies change. And I'll give you one last thing. The reason they call it Salesforce is you have to force salespeople to use it. Which is interesting because that should be in their nature. You know, I, I'm a salesman at heart and I know that selling is 90% preparation and 10% presentation. And I can't remember who said that, but they were right on the money. And, yep. and, and that's what Nimble gives you. It is really helps with that 90%. And that's going to be the difference between you and everybody who walks in before you and after you. Yeah. Yeah. You got one shot at, at making that connection. Yeah. And, and I'll, I'm going to share with you what I used to teach uh, salespeople back in the day. When you go in somebody's office, look at their walls, look at the books they read, the degree of the school they went to, the knickknacks they collect. All these things will give you a clue into who they are and what they're about. And you can then derive what you have in common with them because it's the commonalities that we share with each other that builds intimacy and trust. I call it the five F's of life, family, friend, food, fun, and fellowship. These are the softer side of life that you connect to another human being on, which will get you through the bumps of business, price, deliverability, whatever. And so I think that it behooves you to prepare before every meeting but the problem is, is today you spend 6% of your time Googling people and typing in what you know or what, who they are and what the business is about. Nimble automatically does all that, which saves you the ability to be focused on that person and to ask open questions and then just shut up and listen. Because if you listen to people and let them talk, they'll not only tell you how you can help them, but they'll fall in love with you because everybody wants to be seen, heard, and and health. And yeah. that's your job as a salesperson. Yeah. Service is the new sales. Yeah. There was a bar. I'm, I'm sure it's long gone out in Southern California. It, it, and they, I have a shirt, a picture of it. F, 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 F. Fat Face Fenner's Falloon. <laughs> if you're a Southern California guy, great bar. I think it was in Redondo Beach. But it, I'll add the fifth F and I'll re- uh, I'll reconfigure the, what the meaning is, what the acronym is. All right, John, I got one last question, and, and there's so much more. We're, you're going to have to come back on. Because I definitely want to talk more about that motivational, inspirational, spiritual side of entrepreneurship and life. That resonates a lot with our listeners, and so we definitely want to do that. But, you, you know, you gave me that staggering statistic about less than 1% use some any kind of CRM solution. So... I want you to imagine that we're sitting in a room right now with all of our listeners and uh, it'd be a big room too, hopefully. Uh, but, but let's give them one or two pieces of advice that are going to help them right now. Let's say navigate the next six months and, and maybe even look ahead into 2021. You know, what, what's some kind of inside secret that you can share with them that will give them a competitive advantage? Well, I, I think, one of the things that I, I think most business owners forget about is the people they've already sold to. I think that if you go in and, and analyze the people you sold to, you'll better understand the best people for you to sell to. And so uh, in your accounting system, in your marketing system, are the personas of the people that buy the most and stay the longest. 
And if you can go and, uh, and find these people and go out and ask them for referrals or additional business, but also then go and find net new people because like you may be attracting, you know, 5,000, 10,000 new leads a month, whatever the number is. But if you were able to just narrowly down and focus on the 80-20, the 20% of people that give you 80% of the business or the 10% of the people that give you 90% of the business, you'll be much, much more efficient. But the problem is, is most people forget about the people they sold to. They don't go ask for referrals or additional sales, and they don't use that data to build personas of who are the people, what are the companies like that buy the most and stay the longest, what are the use cases that they do, and then to take those stories and to put them up because I think that your customers will uh, talk about your product more powerfully than you ever will. And if you actually put up the stories of their success, that's how people buy. They don't believe you when you tell them how great you are, your products are, but they believe people like them. And so what I would recommend doing, especially when you have all this COVID time out there, is to dig into your data, go into your accounting system. And I'll even give you a tip on how to do that easily. Nimble will automatically integrate or import in contacts from over 300 SaaS business applications, which means it doesn't matter what you have, including if you have an existing CRM. Let Nimble import all that data, unify it into one system, enrich it with people and company data, and then start segmenting that stuff based off of year-to-date sales, total sales, uh, longest life customers, all those good things. And, and basically, you could then segment these people out with Nimble and send them a one-to-one email that essentially would be tailored to that person. She so could reach out and say, hey, Brian, I'm reaching out to customers uh, of ours like you because I could see that you did this or looked like that, and I would love to be able to do this or do that. And what you want to do, let's say you have um, 10,000 customers or 20,000 customers. So it's, if it's 80, 20, 10, 90, 10 rule, so what is that? Maybe you have 10,000 customers, 2,000 customers, you have a thousand, 2,000, which are your key ones. Break that into segments smaller of 200 groups, 200 pieces. So 10 groups out of the 2,000 that fit certain segments. You could tailor the message very narrowly to these people. So you then come off more relevant and authentic in a one-to-one message. And when you do that, you get incredible results. And with Nimble, because we have the ability to do segmented one-to-one messages at scale, you could do all those things. And if you want to learn more about that, we got podcasts and webinars. We'll teach you how to do it. And I'll even do this. If you want to sign up for Nimble, I'll give you 40% off your first three months. All you got to do is use wow. the code JOHN40, J-O-N-40, when you sign up with your credit card. So you get two weeks for free, it doesn't matter. But if you do decide to become a paying customer, I'm gonna save you some money too. I love it. So John, that is a fantastic offer. Uh, and, and I appreciate it. And I know my listeners are, the, the ones that haven't yet been introduced to Nimble. So thank you very much for that. And this has been great. I mean, all of the insights and wisdom you shared over your the past 30 years has been really incredible and it's inspiring and it just is a reminder to the business owners on the on the path right now it's not a straight path there are mountaintops and there are valleys and we spend much of our time either ascending the mountain or descending it on on our way to the next mountain so 
Um, I, I appreciate it. If, if my listeners wanted to get in touch with you, uh, I'm assuming it's going to be through social. What's the best way for them to reach out to you and to Nimble? Well, this is actually my final tip for everybody. It, Google yourself. Just type in your name in Google. If you don't show up on the first page, you got work to do. <laughs> if you yeah, want to right. me, Google me, J-O-N space F-E-R-R-A-R-A. And you're going to find a number of different ways to connect with me on whatever channel is comfortable for you. But I'll make it easy for you. It's John at Nimble, J-O-N at Nimble.com. Reach out to me. Let me know how I can help you grow. And um, so it's it's easy to uh, to connect. But to fix your Google thing, here's a tip. Set up a Wikipedia page. Have you set up a Wikipedia page, Brian? I have not. And I and actually, John, it's interesting because I went on yours before our interview and found some fascinating articles about your goldmine days, which I yeah. didn't know about. And, and I haven't updated that for 10 years. I need to do that. Mm-hmm. But it's really easy. Just just type in the information about yourself, your business, your background. Make sure you cite facts in there. And you can actually hire people to do that. But Google loves Wikipedia pages. So when people Google you, you'll for sure show up on the, on the first page, especially if you have like a common name like John Smith or something like that. Yeah, yeah, sure. You could, you could work on that. But sure. definitely um, uh, you need to make sure that people can see you because they're going to Google you before meeting you. And ideally in the future, they'll nimble you. Yeah. And that's a great point. That's We're, we're going to leave it at that because you're 100% right. If you're not doing the work to build your brand and 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 know that people are going to do their work on you so that you know your if your LinkedIn profiles in your top three results along with your website, do they are they up to the standards that you have of yourself and your professional integrity and, and character? Yeah. So great points. All right, John. Thank you again for today. Uh, and I know my as I said, my listeners appreciate it. I'm going to send you that book, that Victor Frankel book, and um, I'm going to, we're going to have this up probably next week and we'll start promoting it. So, but we want to have you back on. So give me a couple of months and uh, let me get the feedback from my listeners on all the questions that I didn't ask. We'll have you back on and I'll ask those questions. Brian, thank you so much. Always a pleasure. My pleasure, John. And for all our listeners, keep your feedback coming. Keep your questions coming. Brian at smallbusinessedge.com is the best way to reach me or on social media, as John said, LinkedIn, Twitter. I am Brian at Brian Moran on Twitter. I got that in early enough that I beat all the other Brian Morans in the world out. Nice. So with that, all right, everybody, have a great day uh, and listen for more podcasts on Small Business Edge Podcast. You've been listening to the Small Business Edge podcast with Brian Moran, sponsored by Pitney Bowes. Please visit our website, smallbusinessedge.com, for a listing of future podcasts.